0: I would say that the lab environment and dynamic and your principal investigator, your PI, are like two of the most important factors to keep in in mind when finding a lab because these are the people that you spend every day with. If there's like unhealthy competition, it can make your day totally miserable. You want to feel like the people in the lab have your back and that they support you.
1: From the cubicle to the lab, the studio to the war room, climbing the corporate ladder or joining a scrappy startup, experience a day in the life of the jobs you want. This is the Experience a Day in the Life podcast.
2: Welcome to part one in the two-part Life in the Lab series. In this episode, we're going to experience a day in the life, hour by hour, of Dr. Tu Win, a postdoc neuroscientist at Cornell, so you can decide if this is a career you can see yourself doing. If research and science excites you and you're curious about how the brain works, this could be the career for you. Let's get right into the day.
1: It's 6.30 on a Thursday morning in New York City, and Dr. Nguyen is woken up by her son, Dylan. Mornings are precious for her. It's time she gets to spend with her family without any distractions. After she nurses and cuddles, she gets ready and heads out the door by 8 a.m. with her husband. After daycare drop-off and their workout class, they go their separate ways, and Dr. Nguyen is ready to start the day.
2: Today on the agenda as a whole, Dr. Nguyen is performing experimental surgeries, attending a seminar, analyzing neuron activity, and programming in MATLAB. Let's meet Dr. Nguyen and learn more about what she does.
0: I am Ta Nguyen. I am a postdoctoral fellow in neuroscience at Wild Cornell Medicine. I have a PhD from NYU in neuroscience. And then now I'm doing an additional step of training. I started in my PhD by studying kind of learning and memory and molecular process underlying how we form memories. And so then when I started my postdoc, it was important to me to expand my technical tool belt. And so I knew of a PI or principal investigator at Cornell who has like state of the art imaging techniques. And so and um, that was something that I really wanted to learn, was important for me to have in my career. And so contacted him and I started my postdoc around five or six months after finishing my Ph.D
2: term postdoc I don't think I've ever heard that before or at least not in in a just conversation
0: probably my parents were the same way so um, <laughs> uh, it's a postdoctoral fellow so it's postdoctoral so basically after your to- doctoral degree an additional step of training before you would seek your other job so like tenure track faculty or something industry consulting something like that. it's just it's more training underneath someone where you have a mentor but the reins are a little bit looser than they would be during your PhD for instance Pre-baby, you know, my wake up was 8.30, sometimes even 9, sometimes 9.30, you know. And I'm like, labs, they sometimes function very late. And so in my head, I was like, you know, I don't need to wake up early, so why would I wake up early? Um, so I just wouldn't. So I come into lab at 10, but, you know, many times if I come into lab at 9.30, you know, there's no one there. Which is, you know, like, I don't, not many other jobs I think would be like that.
1: Tu's first order of business is to schedule a time to pump. Cornell has a room dedicated for nursing and working mothers, which is so convenient for Ta, but the competition is real to secure a spot every day. After that, she's checking her emails and then it's off to the basement for an experiment of hers.
2: More specifically, she's performing a surgery on an itty bitty mouse brain. We'd explain, but we'll leave it to the expert. And so on
0: this day, I'm planning to do surgeries. And so I'm injecting this non-toxic virus that allows me to visualize the activity of neurons by also implanting a fiber optic in the brain. These surgeries, they take maybe two or three hours each. And I'm stuck in the basement doing them. And so, you know, like when I get in, I have to gather all of the things that I need to go downstairs in the basement. And, you know, there's always a little checklist that you have to bring down. Otherwise, you have to come back up and down to get all of the materials that you need.
2: What are those materials? Like what? What does that setup look like?
0: So the bag that I bring down, I have a little container of dry ice. I have a container of ice. I have the virus. And then I have my surgery toolbox that kind of has everything that I need in there.
2: You say a virus, right? You can't actually see these little viruses. Is it in a solution? It is, is- in a solution. Okay, all right, yep, cool. Yep. I'm trying to visualize yeah, yeah, it yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. And just because I'm curious, what color is that solution? Green. It is green. green. All right, cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> super mad scientist stuff right
0: there. Well, so it's it's based off of the green, green fluorescent protein, okay. which is the protein that like jellyfish and like phytoplankton have for bioluminescence. It's a modified GFP.
2: Alright, so you're getting all that situated. What is that work like? I guess, are you doing all this with your hands? Is this uh, like on the, With my
0: hands and under a microscope. It's it called a stereoscope, but it basically, and it's not super magnified, but I mean, this is a mouse brain we're talking about. And so you have to to be very precise with where you're injecting
2: these viruses so you need a steady hand yes all right yeah. so too much coffee not- is yeah. not
1: good no. going back to your experiment you said after a few weeks of expression yeah it takes a long time for you to get the results that you need right you yes. said about like four weeks or so so yeah. what do you do in the meantime, like towards that experiment or do you work on something else? Yeah, I, I will yeah. work
0: on something else. I'll do analysis of a previous experiment that I've done. These experiments, you know, like from start to finish, they can be like a month and a half. So if I plan it well, then I'll do a surgery before going on vacation or before a conference because I know I'm going to be gone and that's just downtime for virus to express.
1: So I just want to kind of go into, because you had a lot of you know, checkpoints that you wanted to hit in picking, you know, a program and then the lab as well. Like what are the things that people should be looking for when picking a lab? That's a
0: great question. So you'll get a lot of different answers for this as well. You know, people, some people will say, um, find what you want to research and make that your number one. But I would say that the lab, environment and dynamic and your principal investigator, your PI are like two of the most important factors to keep in in mind when finding a lab, because these are the people that you spend every day with. If there's like unhealthy competition, it can make your day totally miserable. You want to feel like the people in the lab have your back and that they support you, even if they're not your friend, you know, you don't have to be friendly with everyone in the lab, but you have, you have to support that the lab is a family and the health of the lab, you know, like everyone benefits from that and having a healthy lab environment is super critical. And the principal investigator, you know, every PI mentors in a different way. And so when I was interviewing at this postdoc, I asked my PI, you know, it's like, what was, what is your mentoring style? And he's, he's a very new professor. And so I, I couldn't talk to anyone to kind of get their feedback, but he said, you know, I said, You're new, but what do you envision your mentoring style to be? And I still remember exactly what he said because I love this statement. He said, "Um, I like people to work at the limits of their own independence. Ooh. Yeah. Chose. Love that. Right? Oftentimes in the labs, you'll hear people or mentors described as very hands-off, and that is what I would call my PI is that – They don't, you know, they're not micromanagers. They don't follow you day to day. They don't stroll into lab to make sure that you're there and doing things. They trust that if you are productive and are showing results at like lab meeting that you're doing your job and you can manage your time properly such that they don't need to be like looking over your shoulder. But There are some people that do benefit from like the micromanaging type. You know, there are people that benefit from having multiple checkpoints throughout their month, even having like weekly meetings with their professors. And so it kind of depends on how you work the best. And that doesn't mean that you need to know that about yourself a little bit. But I know that I work the best with a very hands-off PI, which my PhD advisor was as well. And so I think that being paired with a PI that doesn't jive with the way that you work the best—it's something definitely to keep in mind because it's not a good situation. I think if it's not cohesive.
1: And have you ever worked in an environment where there were lab mates that were really competitive? And like, what what do you think the reason is? Yes,
0: one of the labs that I worked in had a lot of competition, and it was very divisive. People wouldn't help each other. There was a lot of back talking, and it it just it it doesn't feel good. And I will also say that it's hard to be on either side of like a division of a lab, you know, even if these are people that you really support, you know, like having these feelings day to day, it's not healthy to be around, you know. And so I think just like staying above it in general is the way to try and be. It's sometimes unavoidable.
1: Now it's noon and Dr. Wynn is finished with her surgery and waiting for the mouse to recover. As soon as he does, she grabs her equipment, heads back upstairs and grabs lunch with some of her lab mates. 1 p.m. rolls around and it's time for her pumping appointment. 1.30, she attends a seminar. The lab that I'm in
0: with a couple of other labs at Cornell, we have the Sackler Seminar Series. And so every Thursday during the school year, we'll give presentations from the labs. We sometimes invite outside speakers to talk about relevant work. And because these are other labs that we're also very friendly with, it's really nice to get feedback from those labs on ongoing research. So it's kind of like a bigger lab meeting where you can get the input of other graduate students, postdocs, professors, and it's really nice to get like outside eyes, especially because the whole process of research is eventually to submit your work to a peer reviewed publication. Like other people are going to see it anyway, and they're going to judge your work. And excuse me, so it's nice to get that feedback beforehand. So there's like a schedule um, and different labs have different people present. And so there's, Today there's uh, another postdoc from another lab that's giving her work and she's doing awesome things and was a really great example of just everyone kind of talking about the work together in like a really friendly environment.
2: So now it's time for coffee. Now it's time for coffee. No more mouse, mice. (laughs) No more mice, no more
0: mice. Um, Yeah, now I get to have coffee. I get an ice double tall white mocha.
1: Okay.
2: Okay. Nice. You that off. You know.
0: <laughs> sometimes with whip, sometimes without whip. name right? I give my, my Starbucks name is Megan. So. Oh, my God. That's
2: amazing. <laughs> but even that can be misspelled sometimes. I know. Exactly. They're like,
0: uh, with an H, I'm like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. <laughs>
2: The time is now 3 p.m. and Ta begins working on an offline analysis with MATLAB while she waits for the virus from today's experiment to express. Ta has a love-hate relationship with MATLAB. This first blossomed when she was studying for her PhD.
0: Coming into a lab that needs MATLAB is very intimidating. I was very intimidating I intimidated. I know a lot of people are intimidated by it. And I know that I will never be as good as someone with the programming background, but I can do a little bit. And so it was important to me to learn the little bit that I could you know, although I did have the major mental block of being like, this is going to be impossible for me. I'm never going to get there. But I will say that, you know, like...
1: A little bit of like imposter syndrome. Yeah, for
0: sure. But, you know, I also would say in the lab, when you're learning something new, there's always a little bit of a mental block, at least for me, that's like, I'm not, you know, like, this is going to be really tough to learn. But then once I actually get in it and I learn it, then I'm like, oh, that wasn't so bad. MATLAB is still like, we have a love-hate relationship, I would say, but I'm getting better at it. And I actually kind of enjoy it. What's nice is that a lot of people use kind of the same techniques. And so there are like scripts that are available online that you can download as packages, which is awesome. And, but then you have to apply them to your own work and sometimes they don't work. Right. So I remember one day I have two people that I work with that are very good with computers. And I found something that didn't work with my code and I didn't, that didn't work with the videos. And I ended up having to email the person who made the code. And he was like, Oh yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and change this. And my two friends were like, you found a bug in the code. And I was like, what? And they were like, "Yeah, you found a bug," and I was like, "No, I just I found something that doesn't work with my video." And they're like, <laughs> and
1: "They're like, yeah, that's a bug," and I was like, "Oh, okay." So and the video is what you're taking when you inject the non-toxic virus. So that's right? what or? I take
0: after the virus is done oh, and gotcha. it's being expressed. Okay, yeah, cool. so Great. that's like when the mouse is behaving and all the um, gotcha. neurons are firing. Oh, nice. Yeah, so. so that- cool. Exactly. I'm trying to analyze those videos. Yeah. So that whole day, I, anyone that I knew that was in engineering, I was like, Hey, I found a bug in my code today. And <laughs> I still, I still don't really know what that means. But
2: <laughs> How did you tackle first learning it? I mean, did you come out of that? doesn't seem like you came out of that class with a like ground comprehension. No, of it, d- definitely
0: not. I didn't, I still, d- I know, I know like buzzwords and that's it. So I, Rob, he's one of the MD PhD students in the lab. He's like, he's one of the people that I mentioned that's very good. And he um, has a programming background also. And he went to Cornell for undergrad and he's amazing and probably has like the most patience in the world you could possibly imagine because he helps everybody in the lab that doesn't have programming experience in that I can't imagine how hard that must be for him, Uh, but I'm being one of those people. But I'm lucky that I sit right behind him, so I can pester him. (laughs) I try not to do it too often, Um, but so nice. Yeah, it started. It started at the beginning with you know he was very hands on with me, but then I got to a point where I was like, "Well, I don't want to bother him all the time," and I would try and work through these things because oftentimes there are just small manipulations in the code. That will then allow it to run properly. And it is gratifying to find that without his help, because, you know, as sometimes I would see him be like, oh, this is what's wrong. This is what's wrong. And so now I try to do that myself and then and then eventually I get to a point where I can't figure it out. And sometimes he'll sit down with me and he can't figure it out either. Which <laughs> makes which makes me <laughs> feel pretty good. That's like, okay, it wasn't like a super easy fix right. that I could have figured out myself.
2: Now it's 4.30 and Dr. Nguyen has had enough programming for the day.
0: So I'll, I'll get to a point where I can't figure out what's going on. Rob will come try and help me. He can't figure out what's going on. I'm like, okay, this clearly, this problem's not going to be solved today. I don't have the bandwidth for this anymore. I'm frustrated. Like, I'm I'm done. I'm We're shutting down the computer. I'm going home. <laughs> so then I take off to go pick up my son. And so he goes to bed at 7.30. So I try to leave to pick him up by 5 because, you know, like I, you now see that I don't get that much time with him during the day, and that's that's really hard. Mm-hmm. So I try and pick him up by 5 so at least get a couple of hours with him before he goes down for the day. So I go pick him up at 5, and we're home by 5.30, and we get to hang out until his bedtime routine starts at 7.
1: At 7.30, Dylan is sleeping, and Dr. Wynn and her husband have dinner in front of the TV with the volume on 10 and the subtitles on. They don't want to wake up the baby. Do you do any work, like research from home sometimes? So Sometimes. What I like to do in the
0: evening is kind of set up my schedule for either the next day or the next couple of weeks to just make sure I'm in line with all of the things that I need to do and check the bookings of everything because, you know, they have to be reserved in advance.
2: So that wraps up a day in Dr. Wynn's life as a neuroscientist. But before we move to part two, let's learn what helps her get through the day in the lab.
0: Perseverance, I would say. I mean, you have to have in research. You will encounter so many failed experiments and it's hard to not let it get you down, but you just have to keep going and not let it affect you. And perseverance also, you know, like you can apply for grants. You're going to get turned down. You know, you're going to get turned down more than you can count. probably more than you will get accepted. So it's important to just like stay the course and persevere.
1: So you just experienced a day in the life of a neuroscientist, but how does one actually become a neuroscientist? In part two of the Life in the Lab series, join us as we go through Dr. Nguyen's career journey and experiences leading up to where she is today. Her story will clear up some things about navigating academia and highlight skills you'll definitely want to know about before you make this important investment into your career. Stay tuned.
2: At Experience a Day in the Life, we're building an online library of content all focused on a diddle or a day in the life of different jobs and professions across the world in all different industries. So if you want to share your a diddle, you can do so at xadiddle.com slash share dash my dash a diddle. That's xaditl.com slash share dash my dash a
1: Thanks for listening. Head over to Exadiddle.com. That's xadit There you can find the show notes for this series and more A Day in the Life articles. And you can get to know us and our guests more by joining our communities on social media. Follow at xadiddle on Instagram and on LinkedIn by searching for Krista Poe and Matt with one T
2: Poe. If you learned something in this episode, please take some time to help our mission by leaving a positive rating and review of the show. Each week, we bring you a new interview series with guests from different jobs and different industries. In each series, we'll live a specific day in the life, hour by hour, and experience their career journey. So don't forget to subscribe.